Is omega-3 better than cholesterol as a predictor of death? And yes, it was. A higher omega-3 level was associated with lower risk of death, but a was you couldn't say the same for cholesterol. There was no relationship between the cholesterol level measured at baseline and whether you died or lived over that seven-year period. Welcome to the Metagenics Clinical Podcast, where natural healthcare practitioners can hear innovative, cutting-edge information from leading experts from around the world. Welcome to Metagenics Clinical Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Rose, and with me today from South Fall in South Dakota is Dr. Bill Harris. Welcome, Bill. Well, thank you, Nathan. Glad to be here. So, Bill, we're here today to talk about uh, omega-3 and, more importantly, how to test uh, omega-3 status. Um, but before we dive into that, perhaps just give us a bit of a, a background. You've got a, a long history of looking at, at lipids in the research. Sure. Just um, just my own history? Yeah, yeah. Sure, yeah. Um, I, I got a PhD in nutrition um, and then did postdoctoral work uh, with Dr. Dr. Connor, Bill Connor in Portland, Oregon. That's where I got first involved with omega-3, which is around 1980, and published our first work on omega-3 and lipids then and have stayed, um, actually been in three other medical schools since that time. Uh, and have continued with the omega-3 research, the story just getting richer and more interesting all the time. That's been a real roller coaster over the years um, of good news, bad news. Um, I think we're back in a good news cycle, I believe. Yeah. Um, but uh, you have to put up with a few years of unhappiness. Um, so, yeah, now I'm in uh, uh, in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, which is the, uh, at the medical school at the University of South Dakota. is my academic appointment, but... I spend most of my time at our laboratory called Omega Quant Analytics, uh, which uh, we, we founded about 10 years ago to offer the Omega-3 index test. Beautiful, thanks. So yeah, let's have a look at this uh, Omega-3 index test, which you've spent the last decade looking at. So um, people probably aren't as familiar with the, the index. Historically, I suppose, um, practitioners have often looked at Omega-3 in comparison to the Omega-6, which we might get to later on as that sort of ratio but um, from my understanding perhaps this omega-3 index may be more um, better indicator of health and disease yeah i would agree with that i think um yeah the, the omega-6 omega-3 ratio has had a lot of uh, of interest over the years um i think personally i think it's kind of a flawed metric um it's not as helpful um because uh, partly because the it doesn't define which omega-3 fatty acids are in the metric it doesn't define which omega-6 fatty acids are in the metric. So that's a problem to begin with. Uh, secondly, you can have you know, high levels of omega-6 and high levels of omega-3 and have an identical ratio as a person who's got very low levels of omega-6 and omega-3. So that's not particularly helpful either. <clears throat> um, yeah, and the other part is I think the omega-6, hey, making a ratio of good to bad um, it w would make some sense, but in this case, we have actually a good to good. Uh, so I, I, I've got a, a, a quote I like from a researcher in Canada. So what's the point of an omega of an omega six omega three ratio? It's good to good. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, so we can we can dig into that later. The omega three index uh, that we developed in two thousand and four, and then begin offering uh, to the world basically in two thousand nine. Uh, is is the EPA and DHA only? It's very specific. 
and it's those two fatty acids and it's their level in red blood cell membranes. And we pick the red blood cell as a, a very much in the same way as a, a person who, a doctor who's treating diabetes or uh, glycemic problems will prefer to look at the hemoglobin A1C, which is a red blood cell yeah. metric and compared to the um, plasma omega-3 levels, which are less, um, much more variable and more noisy. It's the same way the omega-3 levels in the plasma are um, noisier within a person uh, compared to the red blood cell levels. Uh, they're quite, uh, red cell levels are, are much more stable. Um, and the red cell is a much more, it's a better reflection of other tissues. Um, so anyway, that's what the omega-3 index is. It's the EPA and DHA content of red blood cell membranes. And it's expressed as a percent uh, meaning the percent of the total fatty acids in the membrane that are EPA and DHA. And it runs from roughly 2% to 12%. Um, and that kind of covers 99% of the population. Okay. So it's similar analogous to, say, hemoglobin A1C for diabetics. It's, it sounds like Very the, much. the, the um, omega-3 index gives a, a long-term stable picture of your omega-3, specifically the EPA, the long chain, the EPA, DHA status, um, compared to, say, like fasting glucose, which can go up and down during the day. Um, right. So like the omega-3, maybe if you had a, um, a fatty fatty fish for you know a meal, um, it'd soon be in your, your bloodstream and you could capture that acutely, but that might not give you you know the, the best representation of long-term status. Exactly, exactly. Okay, uh, so yeah. Now let's look at um, what does the data show with this. You saw you said between two and twelve percent, a, a reasonable range. What does the data say with um, looking at omega three index in health and disease outcomes? Yeah, um, when we first proposed, and when I say we, um, I, I'm talking about my colleague uh, Clemens von Schacke, uh, a cardiologist uh, and an eminent researcher in omega three for many years. He's in Munich. So he and I developed the omega-3 index together. Um, and again, I published it in 2004. Uh, we both have laboratories. Uh, he has one in Munich. I have one here in Sioux Falls. Uh, we offer harmonized omega-3 testing. So we get the same answer uh, with our particular methods. Um, when we first proposed the omega-3 index, uh, we had to come up with some target cut points because the whole idea of having an omega-3 level as a risk factor, as a as an actionable marker of health and, and wellness is you have to have a target that you're aiming for. You have to have a level that's too low and you have to have one that's ideal. Um, so we proposed uh, based on the evidence available in 2004 that an 8% omega-3 index was a reasonable optimal target. Um, a lot of people are in the West are living down at four and 5% omega-3 indexes. Um, the Japanese population, on the other hand, uh, which eats a lot of fish, uh, is roughly 9 or 10% omega-3 index. So they're up in that zone we like. Uh, we say 8 to 12% is the zone we like people to be in. Um, and coincidentally, the Japanese not only have the highest omega-3, one of the highest omega-3 levels in the world, they also have one of the lowest coronary heart disease rates in the world, and they have about the lo greatest longevity of populations in the world. So I, I don't think that's coincidence, but um, I can't prove that that's the cause. It's an association. Um, so we, we, based from the, from the beginning, we proposed 8%. Over the years, we have made efforts to uh, test that hypothesis. Um, and most recently, we published a paper a couple of years ago in a journal called Atherosclerosis, 
where we did a meta-analysis of studies that um, had uh, we were able to calculate the omega-3 index in, and there were, these were cohort studies where people were followed for many years after an initial blood test uh, for the development of fatal coronary disease. And we were able to convert uh, values to the omega-3 index. And we confirmed that, yeah, if, if you look at the risk uh, for uh, people with an omega-3 index of eight or above compared to four or below, there's a 35% drop in risk for fatal coronary disease across that spectrum. So we, th we think, and that was statistically significant, of course. Um, and so evidence like that uh, has led us to believe that this 8% target is really, uh, I think, reasonable. And it's probably reasonable for brain health, for joint health, for um, eye health, as well as heart health. I think that this is just what is a harm harmonious level that the body likes across all systems. Correct. And so that was 8% um, was compared to the, the lower or below 4%, was it? The Yes, that's where that 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 risk differential, thirty five percent reduction, was comparing those two extremes. Okay, and it, I sense it's probably a bit of a, a spectrum. Um, 6%, yeah, so yeah. it's it's a sliding scale. Six percent is better than four, but not quite as good as eight, right? Yeah, and above eight, like is you know, it's probably a, a law of diminishing returns. Is there a, a ceiling to percentage? I, I, I law of diminishing returns is a good way to put it. Um, partly, uh, we really don't see an omega three index over. 15% hardly ever. Uh, they're very, very, very rare. Um, we don't have enough evidence because there's so few people above even 10 or 12%. We don't really have any evidence that uh, there's a, a, a benefit to being there versus 8%. There's some suggestion in the Japanese population, actually, I should say that, that maybe uh, 11% might be better than 8%. Um, but again, the, the data is thin because there's so few people living out in that level. And yeah, we really sure. can't do studies um, to find out. Now, there actually is some, some big trials going on uh, with omega-3, high-dose omega-3, where we're measuring the omega-3 index, and uh, it's 13,000 people. Um, and we'll have some evidence probably in a year or two um, that maybe a 10 or 12 might even be better than an 8. But at this point, 8, you know, how much additional benefit you get. I'd love to see people get to eight. I mean, that's, that's a huge task right there since 95% of Westerners are under that level anyway. Yeah, that makes sense. And I um, also noticed in some of your research that you there's been comparisons to other, you know, traditional biomarkers. So how does it compare against, say, cholesterol or CRP for cardiovascular Yeah, um, right. Uh, we've... Um, we published again last couple of years a comparison of the omega-3 index as a predictor of risk for cardiovascular disease and total mortality. Um, and we did that in the context of the Framingham offspring study. Framingham, of course, is a, uh, probably the grandfather of all epidemiologic studies for heart disease. Um, and we found that if you ask the question, um, which is a better predictor of risk for death over a fixed period of time, basically the, in our particular study, people were about 66 years old when we drew the blood. And we followed them over a seven year period up till roughly age 73. And we asked, you know, uh, what's the risk of death from any cause in that window of time? And then we asked if the, is the omega-3 better than cholesterol? as a predictor of death. And yes, it was. A higher omega-3 level was associated with lower risk of death, but a 
was you couldn't say the same for cholesterol. There was no relationship between the cholesterol level measured at baseline and whether you died or lived over that seven year period. So we think omega-3 index is at least as good. I'm not saying cholesterol is not something to measure. Uh, it has its limitations. Uh, but if you think it's important to measure cholesterol, then you should really think it's important to measure the omega-3 index. Okay. And was the CRP also compared as well? We uh, did not. You know, it's a great, great point. We did not do that. We could do that because we have that data in the same cohort. I'll make a note. Thank you, Nathan. <laughs> you, you, you get credit for that one. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, but there were, there have been previous studies. You know, tw- almost twenty years ago, uh, study that uh, looked at risk for sudden cardiac death in a couple of different cohorts. Oh, actually, it was in the Physicians Health Study, and they found that uh, of all the markers that they measured in the blood, the only two that were predictive of risk for sudden cardiac death, which is a very specific type of, of uh, heart disease, uh, were the omega-3 index and CRP. And the omega-3 index was really a better marker than CRP was in that study. Okay. Um, but I need to go back and write another paper on, <laughs> on framing it. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, the data so far sounds really, really encouraging. Uh, so, yeah, what, what really jumps out at me with this test um, and, you know, in functional medicine, there's often a lot of tests available for practitioners. Sometimes there's a lot of, like, parameters and metrics and indices and they're somewhat seemingly arbitrary but this is really clear it's a, a single marker um but on a practical note what i also um like about this is it's you know not terrible it's not invasive and it's um there's like a quick turnaround time so can you actually describe the test and how it operates sure uh the test uh, primarily you know in a physician's office it could go either way a healthcare practitioner could use a dried blood spot collection system. So there would be, a, like you said, a finger prick, a drop of blood on a filter paper, um, mail it to the lab and get your results back in three to five days after uh, it's arrived in the lab. That's the standard way we do it. Although we do have some clinics we work with where they actually send a, a purple top blood tube and we measure the omega-3 index in that as well. So either way, uh, it can be done um, and they're roughly the same price. Great. Um, and so we've got listeners in Australia and the US. Um, Omega Quant, this um, test is available uh, in the US and Australia. Whereabouts? Anywhere else where it's available? Right, right. We've, uh, well, it's it's available and, you know, basically a person can order it anywhere in the world. Okay. Um, you know, but is it, we have laboratory in Australia. So we, we need to, um, of course, be considerate about uh, turnaround time. So we, st- yep. we have uh, set up a lab in Australia, and we've set up a lab uh, partnership basically in Scotland just recently to uh, serve the UK and the European Union uh, communities there. So we're, we're expanding. We're going to be looking. Uh, I'm going to be in China in a few weeks, and I'm going to look at some lab space there too. So we're uh, hoping to move this test uh, around the world. Yeah, very exciting. Now, okay, so let's assume a person's done the test and it's come back uh, low. Um, what's the sort of, how do you get, what's recommendations say from, to get from a 4% to an 8% and how long would that take? Yeah, excellent. Um, th- that's a very common scenario. Uh, what we have seen is it's, uh, and we're, we have a paper that's uh, almost impressed looking at, at this very question, you know, is there an equation that you can use to calculate how much omega-3 you need if you know you're starting omega-3 index and you, where you want to go? 
And what I can say is uh, if you're starting roughly at 4% and you want to go to 8%, the, it, it, there, there's a lot of inter, inter, within individuals, no, excuse me, between individual variability. Um, but we think something in the neighborhood of uh, 1,500 to 1,700 milligrams EPA DHA per day um, will roughly get you that four, that delta of four omega-3 index units. Um, but it can vary from some people might need two grams, some people might need one gram, um, but roughly in that area. And how long, it takes roughly four months to get to a new steady state. Um, because the red blood cells, of course, uh, the lifespan yeah. of red cells, 120 days, so four months. So we, we got a completely new crop in four months. And, um, so that's where we always kind of push people four to six months is a really reasonable time to retest. Okay. That's, it's nice, uh, pretty clear. So. Yeah, I'm looking forward to trying this. Um, all right. You haven't done it? Oh, my, yeah, my I, fault. I've done it. I've done it. Um, and oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, my results were not optimal, I'll, <laughs> I'll be honest. Um, so I'm working on that. Um, but it was, yeah, as I said, really good because you get this clear clear piece of information and you know how to actually. Yeah. So, um, and you know how to actually. I mean, I think that's, I think that's a great point that we, we need to make because with the popularity of genome, genomic testing these days, you get – information back in all these uh, marker genetic markers and they may inform you about some other lifestyle things you can do but you can't do anything about it yeah it's your gene but the omega-3 index at least is very actionable and it's safely actionable and it's quickly actionable and uh, there, there's no no downside to it so anyway that's one of the advantages i think of this test. no no you're right we've, we've got this uh, little um, rule here that, that there's three sort of criteria that we, we look at a bit a test is it um, accurate and reliable um, does it correlate to disease and more importantly right. does it have clinical utility can you take action and yeah I think that's where the genomics doesn't always tick all the boxes but yeah with this test it, <laughs> it really ticks all yeah. three um, right. so I want to move on to the, the third the the um, dosing of fish oils because yeah as you mentioned earlier like um, lipids it's um it's a controversial area. One moment saturated fats is, you know, problematic. The next, it's healthful. And, um, you know, omega-3s has gone through the, the, the highs and lows, at least, you know, in the media. Um, oh, yeah. And there's been some mixed results with um, intervention studies with, with fish oil. So can you give us a bit of a, a landscape of the, the controversy and then we can maybe flesh out, you know, reconcile some of these differences? Sure. Yeah. I, <clears throat> we got very excited about omega-3s in 1989 and then again in 99 when two big studies were done, DART study and GISI prevention study uh, were published showing that roughly, you know, a gram of EPA and DHA was able to significantly reduce risk for coronary artery disease. Um, and they were very clear and uh, remarkable outcomes. <clears throat> Those studies, of course, were done in the 80s and 90s. Um, and background fish intake was lower then. Uh, people were not using supplements then. Uh, there was the, the way uh, patients were treated with coronary disease was different. The, the medical interventions that were available then are different. So, you know, hop, skip, and jump up uh, another 10 years, we get a positive study from Japan with uh, the JELUS trial, but it took 25,000 people to show it. 
um, which is a huge study, but it was statistically significant benefit shown for 1.8 grams of EPA. That was 2007. And then we went into a desert, pretty much a desert of maybe five or six randomized trials, um, not huge, some of them big, uh, but most of them relatively, you know, 1,000, 2,000 people, um, given almost always one gram a day uh, or less than actually 840 milligrams a day of EPA and DHA. Um, and they were neutral, 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 no effect, no effect, no benefit. Um, and the press just kept hammering it. And doc, I mean, that's, it's a fair assessment. I mean, that's what they found. Uh, the problem is they concluded that, quote, fish oil doesn't work. Well, the problem is they should have said, well, fish oil at 840 milligrams a day on top of five other drugs in people who've already got disease and who are treated for two to three years, it doesn't work. Okay, <laughs> I, I'll go with that. Fair enough. In that context, I'm not, I don't expect it to work. Um, but when you... And omega-3s are not really intended to be drugs. They're not intended to be seen as drugs. They are a lifetime. Uh, we, we need them from the minus nine months uh, all through our lives. And we need to be taking higher doses or higher amounts, whether from supplements or in our diet, our whole life, not just starting when you're in your mid-60s and, and um, all of a sudden you, you've got heart disease, now you're going to take this. Um, so what's happened, so we, we went through this, uh, again, long period where the, no good evidence, so the meta-analyses came out. Every new study spawned six more meta-analyses that added this new study. They all were coming out, no, 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 no effect. And so the, the, naturally the medical community not really thinking very deeply about the question, um, that, okay, I guess they don't work. Move on. But now come along at the end of 2018, three big trials are reported. Uh, this is the upswing on the roller coaster, okay? Um, one of the trials is called Aspen, uh, excuse me, yeah, um, Ascend, excuse me, Ascend. This is a study that was done in about 15,000 people with diabetes in England, again, given about 840 milligrams of EPA DHA. Um, I, I'll talk about that study first. Uh, I, the, the authors uh, concluded from their study, again, null, no effect. But if you really look at the data and look at the composite uh, endpoint, I mean, this is, this is a problem, just as an aside. These studies typically have what they call a composite endpoint, meaning let's add a fatal heart disease, non-fatal heart disease, fatal stroke, non-fatal stroke, admission to the hospital for heart problems, um, maybe developing angina. And they just throw away all kinds of heart-related things into one bucket. Different conditions, but heartish. Throw them into one bucket and say that's our primary endpoint. And they do that because they can get more events. Quote quote. Well, the trouble is the omega threes help with some of those events, but not other ones. And when you throw them all together, they get diluted, and you can't find an effect. And so, in the ascend study, specifically in diabetics, um, again the composite endpoint was not statistically lowered. Um, but one of the major elements of the composite endpoint, which is vascular death, meaning death from vascular disease, which is obviously important, was 19% reduced. I mean, it was huge. It was a big, statistically significant reduction. But the authors ignore it because it's not the primary endpoint. Um, so I think Ascend was a successful study. 
if you, you're asking, did the omega-3s do anything, even at that dose of only 840 milligrams, vascular death was reduced. Second study come along is, is VITAL, V-I-T-A-L, which is a vitamin D and omega-3 trial, 25,000 people in the U.S. And that one, same story, composite endpoint for heart disease. The, the composite did not show an effect, but total myocardial infarctions were significantly reduced. Death from myocardial infarction was significantly reduced. Even the primary endpoint, again, this composite, was significantly reduced in people who, in half of the population that was eating uh, lower than normal fish amounts, less than one and a half servings of fish a, a week. In that population, there was a statistically significant reduction in, 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 uh, in the cardiovascular outcomes. So they can't put all that in the abstract. Well, actually they did put it in the abstract, but at the bottom line in the conclusion of the abstract, they say primary composite endpoint, no effect. That's what the press sees. They don't think deeply. They don't, that's what doctors see. The doctors don't even look at the, the individual elements of the composite endpoint and say, oh, well, there really was a benefit on heart attacks. <laughs> that's important. Um, so I think those two studies, uh, again, reported at the last half of 2018 are positive despite being being portrayed as neutral. Um, and then comes along the next one, which is the home run. Uh, it's a study called Reduce It, and it was done with four grams a day. Finally, we get a serious dose of omega-3, four grams a day instead of 840 milligrams. Uh, and it's just EPA. Um, it's a pharmaceutical product. Actually, the other two studies were done with the pharmaceutical product also. They were done with Omicor, Lovesa, um, one capsule a day, but the reduce it study was done with, uh, in, in about 8,000 patients, uh, with four grams of EPA only products called Vasipa. Uh, the generic name is icosapent ethyl. It's just EPA ethyl esters with a fancy name. Um, and in that study, uh, after about five years of treatment, uh, there was a 25% reduction in risk for about every cardiac endpoint you can think of. It was just an across the board home run. Um, very powerful, statistically significant. Uh, to me, it's an, it's a demonstration. Uh, we, we, I can't say for sure it's not the just EPA component. I, I, I would be very skeptical if it's just EPA because it leaves DHA out. Um, but the important thing in my mind is it's the dose. They got a dose that was finally high enough to really do something serious to the omega-3 index. And it's, it's all about getting tissue levels up. And so in, they didn't report, unfortunately, they didn't report the omega-3 index. Uh, they have other ways of, of reporting, but we know their index got up at least roughly 7, seven to 8%. Um, and a good, a good benefit was seen there. So that was, nobody can now say omega-3s don't work. Yeah. I mean, they, have to, they have to contextualize it. Say, well, if, if you don't give a big enough dose, they don't work. Well, of course, <laughs> by definition. Absolutely. Uh, so just to clarify, those studies ha didn't look at the omega-3 index and if... Uh, None of the... Well, we are we are now working with the vital group. Okay. We just got 2,000 samples in our freezer from okay. them. Yeah. We're going to be doing the omega-3 index there. Um, we did a little bit. We just did a very tiny 1% of the population in the Ascend study we did the index on uh, several years ago when okay. it was just getting started. And it... it 
it was a complete puzzle to us. Um, the average omega-3 index at baseline in diabetics in England was like 7%, which I don't believe for a minute. I mean, even though we, we analyzed it, I mean, I, I don't know. I, mean, I believe the analysis. I just don't believe the, the biology. I don't know how that can happen. But the, the people that were on omega-3 that got benefit, they went over 8 went over 8%. So it's, that's helpful. Um, I mean, it's, it, it could well be that which, what you really need to do is um, just get over a certain level in your blood. It's not, not how much you change. It's that you achieve a certain level regardless of where you start you need to achieve a certain level to get benefit absolutely um yeah so anyway that's the situation um and i can add that in about a year there will be an even bigger study published uh bigger than reduce it with a new pharmaceutical product of omega-3 the tpa plus dha uh four grams a day uh it's a, a free fatty acid formulation it's called epinova uh, from AstraZeneca is the company doing the trials, 13,000 patients. Uh, they'll finish up the end of 2020, and we're doing all the red cell and plasma fatty acids for that study. So we will know for sure what's happening, uh, outcomes versus omega-3 levels in that study. Oh, I look forward to that. All right, um, now I just wanted to touch upon this sort of response. Um so potentially, yeah, that was unusual that uh, UK study they had such high levels. Um, yeah. So, are there things that you know of that can um, affect uh, or say um, absorption or utilization of omega threes? We you mentioned, mentioned a moment ago genomics. Like, has there been any like single nucleotide polymorphisms um, identified? Basically, no, no, um, yeah, not 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 that affect the response to supplementation. Okay, and what about degradation? Um, I've been for a long time curious about um, certain diseases like Alzheimer's, etc. There's lower levels of omega threes, but also in these conditions, there's high levels of oxidative stress, and we know that like the long chain unsaturated fats are maybe more um, vulnerable to lipid peroxidation. Uh, is there a part of the disease that could further deplete the omega threes? Yeah, very, very conceivable. Um, smoking is one thing that lowers omega three. Yeah, uh, and yeah. that's a. I mean, I mean, yeah, we know we know actually that <clears throat> from a randomized trial that that happened. But you got to be careful. In a lot of times, they'll just do a study and find out that smokers have a lower omega three, and not actually go to the trouble of seeing asking, oh, well, are they eating less fish? <laughs> you know, yeah. it could be that you know. So you you, you got to be careful with cause and effect here, but. Absolutely. Um, so smoking has been shown to, to lower it. Right? Okay. But it looks primarily just like a, a lack of intake is the biggest determinant. That's of the drive. That is the driver. Yeah. yeah we have yeah. looked hard, high and low for predictors of, you know, of, of response. And we really can't find anything besides the dose. A little bit of body weight makes the difference, but okay. not much. Yeah, right. You know. um, and also... You know, we all learned in Nutrition 101 about, you know, the, the precursors, the alpha uh, linolenic acid, like if you have enough zinc and B6, et cetera, and you get enough, like, nuts and seeds that you theoretically can make, you know, all the EPA, DHA necessary. Have you seen anything on um, the intake of the, the plant-based um, uh, shorter-chain omega-3s and getting adequate levels of um, EPA, DHA? Yeah, no, the studies we've done with uh, 
in, in partnership with folks who are giving ALA, um, do, do not show that the omega-3 index goes up. The EPA levels go up a little bit uh, from giving ALA, um, but somewhat paradoxically, DHA levels go down a little bit. Yeah, wow. So at the end of the day, uh, if, if the omega-3 index is EPA plus DHA, you get a little up in one, a little down in the other, you got no change. Um, okay. Whether that's beneficial or not, we don't know. Okay, so it'd really be wise just to go to the direct source and the EPA, yeah. DHA, right? The direct source, right, yeah. right. All right, and one other final one is around this idea of synergy. Um, I'd be curious to know that the, the levels of vitamin D used in the vital trial. Um, we've seen hints about choline, like synergizing with DHA, and um, there's that research <clears throat> on dementia that your um, B vitamins didn't tend to typically work unless the patient had enough omega-3 fatty acids. Yeah. What's your... That, that's an interesting study. <laughs> yeah. So do you have any sort of um, cofactors you think are, are critical to um, ensure there's adequate levels of in addition to uh, omega-3s? Yeah. Um, we're doing a study with choline right now, actually doing the same, working with the same group that published that paper about um, red cell uh, choline DHA. Um and when we just look at the omega-3 index per se, uh, choline does not affect it. Uh, lower versus higher intakes that didn't affect, uh, certainly didn't affect the response to uh, women getting DHA. Uh, it went up the same regardless yeah. of whether they were on high or low choline. Um, but that study, uh, right, where the B vitamins were ineffective unless the omega-3 index was higher, the omega-3 levels were high enough. It does suggest a synergy, absolutely, um, that we've not explored at this point, um, but it's certainly worth uh, looking at. Uh, and, and you know, if eating, a, a, I'm not even gonna say a well-balanced diet, nobody knows what that mm -hmm. is, um, but uh, certainly getting adequate amounts of all the nutrients, you gotta think there's some kind of synergistic effect. Absolutely. Um, well, we might use that as a bit of a segue then because um, it sounds like we're, we're pretty clear on the omega-3, we've got a, a great test that gives you validated markers. Um, we're pretty clear that it's primarily the dose of um, EPA, DHA that's required to, to get us in that safe range. Now let's, as you <coughs> mentioned, um, Synergy, um, you've, you've done some research in some of the other fatty acid species, omega-6 and trans fatty acids and even um, dairy fat. So um, I think maybe some of the research there might be uh, maybe a little different to some of the views we hold. So. Let's first start with, you've done a, a fair bit of investigation in Omega-6. Can you uh, describe what you've done there? Yeah, um, <clears throat> we have uh, looked at, uh, most recently, I think the, probably the best study to talk about is the one that was recently published by Marty Markland and, uh, and about 50 other authors. <clears throat> I was one of them somewhere in the hunt <laughs> uh, in, in circulation. And this study looked at um, uh, about... 30 different trials, uh, observational studies, where they had measured blood levels of, of linoleic acid, the principal omega-6 in the diet. And so they had blood levels of omega-6 at baseline, and then they followed these uh, thousands of people over many, many years and asked who developed two diseases. One disease, diabetes, and one disease is heart disease. And they asked the question, do people who had higher linoleic acids have more or less disease or neutral? You know, any one of those options are possible. 
what they found for both diabetes and for heart disease, that people in the highest omega-3 levels, excuse me, I can't say it, highest omega-6 <laughs> levels, uh, linoleic acid levels, um, actually had lower risk of diabetes and lower risk for heart disease, uh, like 22% lower risk of dying of heart disease. I mean, if you compared the very lowest, uh, the lowest levels of omega-6 LA to the highest levels, <clears throat> there was like roughly a 20% drop in risk for death from heart disease. Um, that's in the same for diabetes, less risk for diabetes. Um, and this is uh, not really surprising based on a lot of other research that has shown omega-6 fatty acids really are good for your heart. Um, they produce, yes, they produce arachidonic acid, but arachidonic acid uh, is a very um, multifaceted uh, molecule. It's not, you, one cannot just call it a pro-inflammatory molecule because it produces so many other different types of metabolites. Some of them are anti-inflammatory. Some of them are pro. Linoleic acid itself, without being converted to arachidonic, can produce some anti-inflammatory molecules. Um, we, we just don't know enough yet about the biology of, little, of omega-6 to know everything that they, uh, all these different metabolites do. But the most important thing is what happens to human disease? What we're, I mean, I, 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 you can look at a metabolic chart all day long and try and draw conclusions about what's a good fatty acid and a bad one. But at the end of the day, you want to know, do higher levels associate with more disease or less disease? And if there's more disease with a higher level, then the omega-6s are bad. But that's not the way it turned out. It turned out to be good. So this is another reason why I don't think this omega-6 omega-3 ratio is the optimal metric to choose. Um, but in any event, that's kind of what's happened now. This this most recent paper um, by Markland got about two or three weeks ago um, showed that the higher omega-6 levels were associated with better outcomes. Okay, that's, yeah, fascinating. And trans fats now, obviously, yeah, and that's probably... That's easy. That's easy. Yeah, I think that's pretty binary, this one. <laughs> yeah, but by and large, I think we pretty much all agree that industrially produced trans fats are bad for you. <laughs> There's a few things we can agree on now. Yeah. And yeah. Um, have you looked at, because like ruminant animals synthesize small yeah. amounts of trans yeah. fats, um, have, yeah. you, have you looked at that? Is there any concern there? Um, no, not a concern. Uh, there's a suggestion, and you mentioned the dairy fat. Uh, one of the one of the markers of dairy fat is 16-1 trans fat. Um, just like and there's some odd chain fatty acids that are also markers of dairy intake, and those are seen to be beneficial associated with reduced risk. Um, so whether we don't know if the fatty acids themselves are playing a role in that reduced risk, or the, there's something about dairy products that's not fatty acid, for example, that's beneficial, and and these markers in the blood just mark people who are eating more dairy. Uh, we, we don't know uh, okay. cause and effect in that case, but uh, they do seem to be uh, moving that direction. So could you agree that um, by and large, if we uh, focus on whole foods, um, natural whole foods, um, we shouldn't get too caught up in the right. the six and threes, et cetera? I would not. I would, I would, I mean, I think people have to worry about is the omega-3s that's why I like the omega-3 index, because it targets the, the, the one problem we've got. Yeah. And it's unambiguous how to address it. Yeah. Um, and finally, I probably should have asked this earlier. Um, 
What's your views on fish consumption and um, increasing omega-3s and do you think the sort of current general guidelines are adequate? Um, no, I don't think the guidelines are adequate. Um, unfortunately, people being what they are won't even won't even do as well as the guidelines. So, yeah. you know, what are you going to do? Um, but the, the current guidelines are from the American Heart anyway are suggesting one to two fish meals a week and we know from our experiments that that will get you an omega-3 index of roughly five, maybe five and a half percent. Um, and what we've recently published is that people, if you want to ask what kind of person has an omega-3 index to over 8%, the kind of person that has that is the person that reports eating three meals a week of oily fish and they're taking an omega-3 supplement. Oh, the, combination. So people, the combination of those two is, is what is... I mean, I can't say those two raise the omega-3 index. They do. But in this study we did, which was cross-sectional, it was people who reported three meals a week and taking a supplement that on average had an omega-3 index of 8%. Everybody else was lower. Wow. So you really need to consider you supplementation. Yeah. 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 Well, or eat like the Japanese. I mean, yeah. you do that too. <laughs> um, and obviously different types of fish are important as well. So it's essentially... Oily fish. Right. Yeah. High omega-3 fish, right. Right. Well, um, this has been fascinating, you know, it's from a, a topic that's probably hadn't had much um, interest in certainly natural medicine for a while because it was all, you know, relatively mapped out, the omega-3 and 6 pathways. It's good that there's been um, this resurgence in interest and certainly this test yeah. I'm, I'm really looking forward to. Um, so we'll wrap it up in a second. Any sort of closing, you know, remarks or um, think areas you want to highlight or stress to the listeners about their... Um, maybe get three consumption or the test? Well, yeah, I, I, I think the simple thing is know what your number is and uh, modify your diet or modify your supplementation routine to fix it. Um, it's very simple. Um, if you're low, take more omega-3, whether it's in fish or by supplementation. Um, it will be good for you. Do it for a, the long term. It's just not a quick fix. It doesn't. Uh, you stop taking omega-3s, you go right back home again. Uh, so you need to keep doing it. Um, and it will pay off in the long run uh, from uh, cardiovascular as well as neurologic, we think. Uh, there'll be benefits above and below the neck. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, if we get tested and then treat it, that's what I think people need to know. Perfect. Uh, so, yeah, I just wanted to ask, is there any um, resources or any um, bodies or... Do you have like a website of your own that um, practitioners can follow? We'll put up a bunch of um, links to these papers, but uh, any sort of reliable current um, source about omega-3 index, omega-3 um, intake? Um, you know, omega-3 index, of course, our, our company, omegaquant.com, O-M-E-G-A quant.com. Um, we've got a lot of, a fair amount of information there. GOED, um, the Global Organization for EPA and DHA, uh, is a a great website, lots of information about omega-3s. Um, I would definitely recommend that. Um, so those two are the t two really that leap to mind at the moment about uh, where people can get information. Great. Um, hopefully I can turn this podcast around um, rapidly um, because it's three weeks away before the International Congress of Natural Medicine. But I'm really looking forward to uh, you coming down and um, further sharing this information with the audience. So yeah, Great. Looking forward to meeting you and then and seeing you at the conference. Great. Well, thanks for your time, Bill. I really appreciate it. I know it's getting late over there for you. Um, so 
Yeah, thanks again for your time. It's been really valuable. I've got some yeah great little insights, and I'm um, looking forward to um, seeing an improvement my test very soon. Good. <laughs> okay, take care. We'll see you in three weeks. Thank you for listening to the Metagenics Clinical Podcast. Find us on iTunes and leave a review. Join our practitioner-only Metagenics Facebook group to be informed of new podcast releases, keep up to date with key industry updates, and more. Visit metagenics.com.au to find useful links and resources relating to this podcast and sign up for our e-newsletter.